Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. So, good morning. Uh, my name is Matt Johnson. I'm the youth pastor here at Living Hope Church. And Jeff and their family are returning today, right? Yeah, today. So, uh, be praying for them. Uh, continued for, for safe travels and uh, looking forward to having my boss back. Um, so, um, we are continuing and concluding our two-part series in uh, Gideon. So, if you have your Bibles, open up to Judges chapter 6. If you have your iPhones or i or droid or whatever smart something flip or scroll over to the Bible and uh, head up to uh, Judges chapter six. So where we left off, and by the way, this morning is just like total torture for me because we play like my favorite songs, and then they get, expect me to get up here and, and talk, and my voice is actually doing okay right now. But I'm just like, I, Rob, how dare you? So um, so we we left off uh, with the story of Gideon, and and like I said um, last week, this is my favorite Old Testament story, and debatably maybe my favorite just in the whole Bible. It's, there's just there's so many truths to it. There's just so many good things in there. And it's, it's sentimental to me because, you know, it was the story that my dad used to read to me when I was like four, you know. And so I'm attached to this story. And as I continue to read through, I'm just like, oh, it's just so good. And so the series is called Checkmate because it's our strategy to kind of win in this match against the enemy and, and specifically against uh, idols. And it just, it's just cool because chess, you know, little think so. <laughs> um, so open up to Judges chapter 6, and where we left off is, is Gideon, who's, who's a farmer, right? And, and his job is to thresh wheat. He is hiding in the threshing floor, and the angel of the Lord says, greetings, mighty warrior. And he's talking to a farmer, scrawny little weak guy with no courage and, and no muscle, you know, you know, just, you know, kind of like me, you know. Uh, so <laughs> thanks, Abe. Um, you know, so this is, this is Gideon, right? A, a fearful, afraid farm boy, you know, and not like Princess Bride farm boy who actually ends up being like a total fighter farm boy, but like he's a farm boy who, who is not, he doesn't have any military experience, and on top of that, he's, he's scrawny. A lot of, a lot of people who, who actually work on a farm, you know, are very physically fit because they do a lot of hard manual work. Gideon's just kind of a, a nobody. It says he's the weakest in all of his family, and his family is the least in everyone in his area. So he's not exactly your, your prime soldier here, yet the Lord addressed him as a mighty warrior. So we left off here, and I want to start out with this point. I could have easily put it in last week, but someone reminded me of it. And uh, so go ahead and put up that, that first point. And the first point is this, is that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He equips the called. And who are called? Spoiler alert, all, all of us who are seeking after Christ, God has put a call in your life. And, and even those, I believe, that, that aren't exactly sure about this whole God thing yet, I, I totally believe, and some people don't believe this, and I, I don't know why, but again, I mean, God is tugging on people's heart from day one, from day zero, because God is knitting you in the womb. And when God began to knit me in my mother's womb, God gave me a propensity to uh, ex- expel loud volumes, to project my voice, and so... Part of that is just because, you know, naturally I'm just a loud person, but also I don't know how you can preach the Bible without yelling a little bit. That's just, I, I like to yell. So apologize in advance if your ears are ringing. Uh, at the end, I'll, I'll try and shy away from that a little bit. So God doesn't call the equipped, those who are ready to go right now. He equips 
the call. And so that's the whole theme of the next 20 minutes or so is, is God equipping Gideon for the call that he has called him to, and he called him Mighty Warrior. And so we're going to look at how God equips him to be a Mighty Warrior. Open up to uh, verse 36, and uh, th- this first thing is we're going to see a series of tests here uh, between God and Gideon, and this is to prepare him. You know, it's, it's funny that, you know, in school you are given, you know, a subject, and then you learn it, and then there's homework, and then you study for a test. The way real life works is everything is a test, which ends up also being the homework, which also ends up being study, right? And so God is, is essentially studying with Gideon, and, God, and Gideon is studying with God, and they're doing homework, and Gideon's being obedient, and, and he's learning to be prepared to be the warrior. And, and so open up to 36, and, and this is a lot of times the crux of when people uh, teach on Gideon, but I'm kind of going to kind of not float right by this. I have a bit to say about this, but uh, this is there. Uh, verse 36 says, Now Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you've promised, look, I will place a fleece, a wool fleece, on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece, and uh, the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by your hand, as you said. And that is what happened. It, Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the wool fleece and wrung it of dew, a bowl full of water. And so he says, All right, Lord, if if, if you truly promise me that, that by my hand, my scrawny hand, my weak little afraid hand, that by my hand, that hand, you will free Israel, all right, here's what I'm going to do. Lay down this wool fleece on the ground, and I want a sign. I want a miracle, right? I, I want it so that the ground, when I wake up, is totally dry, and the wool fleece is just soaking wet, right? And so he wakes up, and that's exactly what happened, but that's not enough for Gideon. Of course, it's not enough for Gideon. He says, do not be angry with me, he says to God. And I, good reason, do not be angry with me. Let me just make one more request. Allow me this one test with the fleece. This, uh, this time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. And that night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with it. So twice, he kind of does this reverse thing where first he wants the fleece to be totally soaked in water. And then the second time, he wants to fleece totally dry and, and the ground soaked. And so it's funny that throughout the whole Bible, the Old and New Testament, there are tons of signs and miracles of God's power, right? Tons of signs and miracles. And, and in, when Jesus was doing his, his ministry, you know, he said that a lot of his signs and miracles was to prove that he was God. And in the book of Acts, people were marveled at the Acts of the Apostles. Like the guy who fell three stories, and Paul just goes, all right, get up. You're, you're not dead anymore. You're alive. Let's go. You know, I'm going to now preach until sundown, or sun up, because apparently you weren't awake enough. So now that you're uh, alive, let's, let's go. And it's funny that Paul was like, I'll, I'll preach until midnight. And then this dude just totally falls asleep and, you know, falls out the window and dies. And Paul says, all right, well, first off, you know, you're going to come back to life in the name of God. And he does. He goes, but for punishment, I'm going to preach until 6 o'clock now in the morning. That's great. But God is a merciful God. Amen? He's a very merciful God. And so God knows you. God knows Gideon. He knows that he is afraid. And he knows that he is kind of a weakling. And he knows that he's, he's not very strong. And, and, and this is the thing about God, you guys, is that he meets you where you're at. He meets you where you're at. Phil and I have talked a lot about Jesus and the life of Jesus, and I figured 
If you're a Christian, you want to follow Christ, you know, study Jesus' life. You know, he said, come and follow me. And so we just kind of talk about this, you know, idea, well, how much time did Jesus spend in his father's house versus on the streets doing his ministry, right? And we see more often than not, Jesus is conducting his ministry on the streets, walking on the road, in the sinner's house, on a boat. You know, the people that the Jews had shunned and said, don't even talk to that guy. He's a sinner. Don't even talk to him. Jesus said, hey, let's go hang out. Want to talk? All right, let's have dinner. Right? That was Jesus, is that he would meet people where they were at regardless of their sin, regardless of their weaknesses, regardless of, of how they've offended God, because God is a merciful God. And so Gideon here, weak and, and not having courage and, and a lack of faith, says, all right, God, just, just please give me this. Just, just please give me this. And how many times have we been like, God, if you just get me out of this situation, I promise I'll go to church every Sunday for the rest of my life, right? This isn't exactly like that, although in a way it kind of is. And we see that God is so merciful, and Gideon, having respect for the Lord, says, okay, God, please don't be angry with me. One more time. Just one more time. God says, okay, all right, fine. And so he does it. He does it. And it's amazing that, that God does it, because God meets you where you're at. And God is very merciful. Everyone who, who knows me very well knows that I really don't deserve to be up here, you know, presenting this word, but the Lord is merciful, and, and that's just amazing. But God is also relatable, right? In Hebrews uh, chapter 4, uh, it talks about how Jesus is a high priest, and that he's not some far-off, unrelatable God. But Jesus was tried and tempted and tested like all of us. Like every single one of us. And, and right here, the, this whole passage right now is, is, is about Gideon being tried and tested and tempted. Basically, God putting him into a place of, okay, well, if I'm going to call you to do this. But first, you have to step up and actually do it. You have to listen, and you have to do it. Right? And as he does this, God is now preparing him through a series of tests. And so to bring context to this, this whole thing, Gideon, where we left off last week, tore down all the idols, replaced with an altar to God, and then God tells him, all right, now go and unite the clans and get ready for war. So he does that. In Judges uh, chapter 7, that's where we're going to uh, continue. Uh, verse 1 says this. Uh, the first thing that he needs to do is remove the fear uh, because if, you, if you're afraid and, and you allow that fear to get in between you and God, you won't step out. And so verse 1 says this. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, which, which means he contends with Baal, the false god. They renamed him because that's awesome. His, Gideon. Um, and all of his men camped at the spring of Herod. And uh, the, the Midian camp was north of them in the valley uh, near, near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men to deliver Midian out uh, into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me, that her strength has saved her, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, and 10,000 remain. So anyone who's in here that's a veteran or been in the military, thinking about going into the military, seeing a military movie, seeing a war movie, you know, has, you know, just a, a couple of two cents of, you know, information on what war looks like. I, unless it's a very small operation or a very, 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 very secret, very, very special operation, you know, thing, whenever... Does a commander say, all right, you got this many men. We're going up against this many men. The problem is we have too many men. We have too many. 
right? When, when, does, when does anyone in charge say, all right, here's the deal. We are going up against an enemy that's too large to count. The problem is we don't have, we have too many. We, we have too many men, right? And this is the thing about the Jews at this time and, and on through Jesus' day is that they're very good at counting, very good at genealogy. They're very careful with the genealogy, counting, and, and all these things. And it's unfortunate. I mean, to this day, I mean, when, when you hear the word Jew, there's so many stereotypes that, that come out of the Jewish culture. But one of the things that stemmed to that stereotype is, is their attention to detail. Their attention to detail. You see all through the Old and New Testament, the attention to detail when it comes to numbers. Genealogy, very carefully mapped out. Numbers, very carefully counted when Jesus fed the 5,000, it said 5,000 men, women and, plus women and children. And so, you know, a lot of historians say, well, maybe it could have been 12,000, could have been 20,000, we don't know. But they counted the men. And all throughout the Bible, when there's a battle that takes place, there's, there's a careful count of the numbers and the camels. But in this instance, it said it, there were too many to count. Too many to count. And so God says... Here's what we're going to do. Since you have this much, we're going to whittle it down. So he says, anyone who has fear, tell them to go home. It's okay. It's fine. Just, it's okay. Just head on home. Head on home. Right? And so he does that. Anyone who trembles with fear, head on home. It's okay. Right? And so 22,000 men leave, leaving 10,000. So Gideon's initial army of 32,000 goes down to 10. Still to face an army too big to count. Verse 4, But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. And if I'm Gideon, I'm just thinking, you've got to be absolutely kidding me, God. This is, this is absurd. If I say, this one shall go with you, then he shall go. But if I say, um, this, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. Verse 5, So Gideon took the men down to the water, there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like, dog, like a dog uh, from those who kneel down to drink. Now, 300 men lapped with their hands uh, to their mouths, and all the rest got down to their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, with these 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. And so he brings 32,000 people down to 300, about twice the size of this room plus change, right? Against an army that's too big to count. That's insane. That's absurd. That's irrational. It's impossible for people by themselves, right? And so God tells him, all right, this 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 is what I want you to do. I want the elite. I want the best. Okay, I want the alert. I want those who, who, are, who are really thinking about every little detail, right? And so he takes the whole army down to the river because if you're going into a battle dehydrated, that's not going to really work out well for you. God's smart. He's not dumb. And so he brings them up to the river and says, okay, tell everyone to drink. And everyone who gets down and just like a dog, I'm just going to go ahead and do it just because I have no shame, just gets down and just starts licking like a dog, send them on home. But if anyone gets down and they start, you know, drinking water like this, I want that person. Why? Why why is that such a weird thing? He wants the alert. If you're down, face down in the river, you have absolutely no sense of what's going on around you. The river is going right by your ears, right? And you're face down, you can't see what's going on. But God wants the person, gets down with their hands, looking around, making sure it's safe, right? 
That's it. So God wants the elite. And so he takes 32,000 down to 300. 300 men to face an army impossible to count. And I can't even like visualize that because I try to imagine infinity and infinity doesn't you know, work in my brain. But just imagine right now, you know, twice this room plus change up against just a coliseum of people, right? Imagine who's been to AT&T Park, you know, the giant stadium that holds 43,000 people, right? So imagine standing in the middle of that and going, all right, we've got to take on about five of these, right? Because if the Jews could count 32,000, they could easily count 43,000. So let's just say like five AT&T parks, to be on the conservative side of infinity, and say 300 men against that, okay? Let's just, let's just throw that out there for a visual. God's saying, that's exactly what I want. That's exactly what I want. Perfect. Way to go, Gideon. And so this whole time, Gideon, though he is afraid, though he is kind of weak, and he's just, you know, not exactly the best soldier and commander, what is he doing? He's listening, and he's obeying. He's listening, and he's obeying. Not only to rational things, but to irrational, totally absurd, totally ridiculous, totally insane things. You know, a lot of times we have a difficult time as humans to, to listen to God and to do what he says with the rational. You know, for instance, with our time, with our money, with our relationships, with our friends, right? A lot of times we're, we're very bad at following the rational. We're very bad at following things that make sense. And so when God gives you an irrational call, a lot of times we're just like, that's got to come from me because that's totally insane, right? No, but Gideon is following everything God is doing despite the fact that he's afraid, despite the fact that, that he's not a soldier, despite the fact that he's got to be just shaking in his boots right now because 300 people against all this. He listens and he obeys. And God continues to equip him. And so now we come down to kind of the green light moment for Gideon. The green light moment. I said light, so I figured I'd say it again. Come down to the green light moment for Gideon, right? And a lot of times, you know, in, in Christianese, we kind of have the call to go versus call to prepare. Call to go, call to prepare. Up until this time, it's been the call to prepare. Because God's not going to send you into a place until you are prepared or unless the equipping happens in the process of you actually going. And so Gideon needs the green light, right? God is preparing him for this moment. And so down to uh, verse 9, uh, says this. Now during the night, the Lord told Gideon, green light moment, get up, go against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, which he is, go down to the camp with your servant Pira. And listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. And the Midianites and the Immaculites and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels uh, could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. His great. <laughs> I had a dream, he said. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. And this is what his friend says in response to that. Not, what? Not, huh? Not, that's a really weird dream. He says this. This 
can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. And so here's my thing, is if any of you ever have a dream where a big old stinking loaf of bread comes on down from uh, the Monticello Dam area and rolls on in here and blows your house down, let one of us know so we can start praying, okay? Because I don't want anyone coming up in here and, you know, blowing this, you know, all to whatever, all right? Now, comes up onto this camp. And he says, all right, a big old stinking roll of bread just came rolling down the mountain and just blew my tent over. And he goes, okay, here's what that dream means. We're done for, okay? God's coming against us because Gideon is being sent by God. That's the interpretation of this dream. And so Gideon, getting all stoked because God totally just confirmed what he had said, again and again and again, gives him that green light moment. And so Gideon says, all right, God has given us this camp. God has given us this land. God has given us the Midianites, the Immaculites, and all of their their friends. And so he says, all right, let's do this. Now, everyone follow me. So up until this point, put up that, that point real quick. He has been obedient. He has listened and he has done what the Lord has told him. And whether it was something that was difficult to do, whether it was something that was absurd, or whether it was something of, I'm afraid to do that, or whether it was something of confirmation, the green light moment, God has told him and he has done it. God has told him. He's done it. All throughout the Bible, when you see Jesus giving a command, God giving a command, and someone does it, spoiler alert, it works out. <laughs> Every time, it works out. When, when Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem, he says, all right, everyone gather around, gather around, gather around. All right, so here's what y'all are going to do. Go over to the next town and go steal someone's donkey for me. And if anyone asks, just be like, God, I need your donkey, right? And so they go in there thinking, okay, I need to go find this donkey. I don't know where this donkey is. And then there it is. No problems. They bring the donkey back. Just simple thing. And then Jesus rides the gentle king into Jerusalem on a donkey. When, when, whenever God gives a command and people do it, it happens. When in Jericho, the Israelites, armed with trumpets and robes by the priest, walk around this big old stone fortress, armed with nothing but, but brass trumpets, ram horn trumpets, and their clothes, they knock the thing down because God told them to do it and it happened, right? It doesn't matter the circumstance. It doesn't matter the means. It doesn't matter the time, the place, or the way it's done. If God tells you to do it and you do it, it's going to happen. So on down to the kind of climax of, uh, of the message where, where Gideon stands against the army here. Verse, uh, verse 16 says this. Now God tells him to do this. Verse 17, watch me and follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Now Gideon and the hundred men with them reached the edge of the camp and at the beginning of the middle watch, just after, uh, just after they had uh, changed the guard. So they come up to the Midianite camp, and I, I skimmed over just because it's a ton of scripture on this PowerPoint. Uh, so Gideon brings all the men together, splits them into three groups. 100 over here, 100 over here, 100 over here. Gives every person a clay pot or jar and a trumpet. And if 
again, just imagine this. 300 people going up against an enemy too big to count. I'm hoping for like a big gun or, or a big sword or something, a catapult, a trebuchet, help me out. Something cool, right? He goes, all right, here you go. Clay pot and a trumpet, clay pot, trumpet. And the guy down the line is just going, oh, are you kidding me? Are you, seriously? All right, we're done, right? And so he, he starts passing out this, this, this stuff that's not even weapons, just a horn and a pot. He says, with this, we're going to take down this army, 300 people. This is just insane. So they go up to the camp, the, the, the three groups of 100. They go up to the camp just after they had changed guards. And um, verse, uh, verse 21, while each man held his position around the, oh, sorry, verse 20, sorry. Uh, the three companies blew their trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping torches in their left hand and holding with their right hands the trumpets. They blew their horns and shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man, get this, held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. And then this is just the awesome part. When the 300 men sounded their trumpets, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. So Gideon passes out clay pots and trumpets to everyone. Inside that clay pot is a torch. And so they sneak up onto the Midianite camp, and they can't see him because their, their torches are inside the clay pots. Genius. And they walk up there and they sneak up. And all at once, they break the clay pots, grab the torch, which is already lit, and blow the horn and say, for this, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. They do nothing else. They stand their ground. Away. They're on, they're on the outskirts of the camp and they just stand still and watch as these people kill each other. How awesome is that? Like... How cool. Come on. Like, that's so, that's so awesome. And so they blow their horns, hold out a light, and they just start killing each other. Just torches, horns, let's kill each other. That's what happens. And so from a secular standpoint, I was watching this show uh, a couple weeks ago called uh, Bible Battles. And it was on the History Channel. And long before this, I, I knew that, um, that I was going to be teaching this message in it. And I was just, oh, this, this will be cool. And in that show was Gideon. I was like, oh, sweet. So I'm watching this thing, and from a secular standpoint, they're talking about the military strategy. And this whole show is basically, look at a Bible battle, you know, that happened, the Bible, and how they applied it to, you know, modern-day warfare. So in World War II, up against Rommel, um, the English Army and the United States Army uh, in their tanks, they're up against Rommel, right? Uh, Fortified tank stuff, right? Big old honking tanks. So this guy... Uh, one of the commanders for, um, for the English um, armor is a great guy. Uh, he always had on him a pistol, a fifth of alcohol, and a Bible. Not your average Joe. And this is what this guy would do. He, he looked through the story of Gideon, and, and he's reading through just kind of the strategy, and he, he picked out two things. Is, is one, it was all about kind of illusion or casting fear into someone, even though they didn't really inherently exist with all those people. Because this is what happened. In this day, one trumpet meant a, a company of 100 men. Right? And so if you heard one trumpet, you knew 100 men are right there. And so when they blew their, all their trumpets to the other armies that recognized the, the Israel, you know, the way that they would do it, 
they would say, wow, that's a big old crowd. But here's what's funny, is that the original army that Gideon had, had brought together was 32,000 men. And when you do the math of the horns, that brings up to what they seem to be, to be 30,000, just under what they originally started out with. And so God, through, through his instruction, essentially told him, all right, we're going to take everyone out of your army, but then it's, you're going to make it seem like they're actually there. But even if they were 30,000 or 32,000, they're up against an army that's too big to count, and they just flee. They just run. They're gone. They're out of there, having no part of this. And as they're running away, they're just slashing swords at each other. You know, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And so God, through his instruction, does something totally irrational. Totally just, it makes no sense, right? And put up those, uh, those, last two, uh, those last two points, is that through this, we see kind of the spiritual template for two things in our life. Because a bunch of people killing each other, doesn't really make a whole lot of, you know, relevance to our life. So let's look at the spiritual kind of uh, truth to this, is that there's victory in light, and there's victory in sound. In our lives, there's victory in the light, there's victory in the sound. In John chapter 1, it said, In the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God, the Word. In Psalm 119, 105, it says that, Your Word is a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. And so this right here, is the light. God's word is the light. There's victory in the light. There's victory in God's word. In 2 Timothy 3.16, this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible right here. It says, all scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that whenever you see the word therefore, you always ask, why is therefore? Go back and read it. Whenever you see so that, and say, that's important, so go back and read it. So all scripture is God-breathed and beneficial for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be, what? Thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so the word of God, the light of God, is what equipped Gideon. The word of God, the spoken word to him, saying, do this, do this, do this. That is what equipped Gideon. And then the light, which blinded the enemy and caused them to, to turn on each other, was, was the light of God, right? God told him to do it. And so in our lives, the word of God is our light in Gideon's battle. The word of God is, it should be every part of our life. It should be every part of our life. And it says in Deuteronomy 6, it says, when you're walking on the, on the roads, when you're walking for us, when you're taking a walk on the sidewalk, it says, Talk about it amongst yourselves. Talk about the commandments of God. I mean, when was the last time you were just like, yeah, so the whole do not commit adultery thing, how about that? Or, hey, you know the whole thing about don't lie? Hey, what about that? You know, let's talk about the commandments of God. That's what it says in Deuteronomy 6. And Jesus, so much of his ministry was done on the, on the road to blank, on the road to Gaza, on the road to you know, whatever. God, God's ministry was done on the road, so much of it. Yet, when we're on the road, a lot of times it's just point A, point B. Point A, point B. Or when we're walking along the road, I've said this so often, how much of the time when you're passing someone, it's just, hi, hi, how's it going? Good, good. Next person, hi, hi, how's it going? Good, good. Hi, hi, how's it going? Good, good. You know, and, and it just kind of becomes a substance of our life, is this kind of withdrawal from other people. But Jesus, 
did so much of his ministry on the road talking about the word of God. And so when we walk in the word, we walk in the light, as it says in uh, Psalm 119. And, and lastly, it's victory in sound. Victory in sound. Like this morning, when we were just rocking worship this morning, I mean, I, I cannot tell you just, just how much that just pumps me up, man. But it says in James 3, in addition to there's victory in sound with our words and, and with just everything that we do, there's a lot of warnings against our tongue, isn't there? There's a lot of warnings against the kinds of sounds that we, that we do make. It says in, in James 3 that some of you shouldn't even be teachers because of your mouth. That scares me. <laughs> it scares me a lot. You know, and so it also says in the Bible that, that our tongue is a double-edged sword, right? And, and the tongue can do so much more, more harm than good, it seems like. But when we're walking in the light, our, our double-edged sword that, that begins to cut down people begins to cut down the enemy whenever we start to, to walk with the Lord. And in, in Psalm 8, verse 2, Jesus, when he uh, goes to the temple and he starts flipping tables over and starts driving out all the, all the people that were, that were degrading, he says, you've turned my father's house, which is to be called a house of prayer, into a den of thieves. And later on, he, he, he quotes this out of Psalm 8, verse 2. He says, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. To, he says right here that praise silences the enemy. And another word, uh, another way of, of wording that, and I've, I've heard this and I love this, is, is that worship dethrones the enemy. Because when, when we idolize, we put the enemy on a throne in that area of our life. It says here that, that when we praise God, the enemy is silenced. Because when God speaks, it's permanent. And it is unavoidable. Okay? When God's word speaks, you can't stop it. Spoiler alert. When God speaks, it's permanent. And, and, and it is going forth. And so in our lives, if, if we're going up against an enemy that seems too big to conquer, or, or a challenge in your life that, that is, that's just beyond you, beyond your capability, or when you are going up against just, just anything in your life where you say, I can't do that, we can't do that, it's just not in the budget, it's just not in the calendar, and the calendar has been something for me where I'm just like, I don't even know anymore. And so I'm having to give that to God and trust that, that God is, is going to make sense of my time on this earth for the next few months as things get really crazy. But if, if it's not in the budget and it's not in the calendar, I can guarantee you it's in God's budget and it's in God's calendar. God's outside of time. God is, God is in, he is in time and he's outside of time, as we talked about last week. But all the money in the world is God's anyway. All the money in the world is God's anyway. If he has called you to do something, and it's not in the time, and it's not in the budget, guess what? All time is God's time, and all money is God's money. And so if he wants you to do something, and it's not in the whatever, do what God's calling you, and he will make whatever happen. Because he equips the called. He equips the called. And so my question to you as we close is, what has God called you to do? And maybe it hasn't happened because it's not in the cards. And, and maybe you were waiting, you know, until someday when all the cards just show up. And I'm like, all right, green light, let's go. But if we just sit around and wait for the cards to be dealt to us that we need, you know, we're just waiting for that royal flush to just show up on our doorstep. Or waiting for that blinding light on the road to Damascus. 
to just knock us off our horse, blind us for a couple days, and then someone come over and heal us, and then say, all right, you're a Christian now, let's go do this thing, right? Go write 13 books of the New Testament. If we're waiting for that moment in our life, a lot of times that calling is going to pass us by because God doesn't really tell us to sit there and do nothing and expect it to happen, right? He says, if you love me, you will what? Anyone? If you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Both the commands, commandments in here, and the calls and commands in your life. And so if Gideon had disobeyed God when he said, all right, go and do this, it wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened. But the difference with Gideon and why they were freed and why they were liberated from the Midianites and why they were kept out of captivity while Gideon was still alive was that he was obedient. And at the end of Gideon's life in uh, Judges chapter 8, it says that no sooner did Gideon die did the Israelites fall back into captivity because Gideon's leadership that he learned from the Lord, he kept up until the end of his life and the Israelites without a leader to teach and to guide because they weren't brought up. They fell right back into captivity because they fell right back into their old practices. And so if we're not following God's call in our life, if we're not walking in the word, if we're not walking in the light, if, we are, if our words and our actions don't line up, it says in, in uh, 1 Timothy 4.12 that don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, or really, I, could, I think that you could say, don't let anyone look down on you because blank. It's too irrational. It just doesn't make sense. But it says, in speech, and in, in conduct, and in love, and in faith, and in purity, set an example. Right? The first is speech. And so, in the light, which is the word, and, and in the sound, which is our speech, and our worship, and how it conducts our actions, we need to follow Gideon's example and be obedient so if there's a calling or a passion or a dream that maybe you've shelved for 20 plus years because you've just said, it just doesn't make sense. I'm not blank enough. I don't have enough blank. It's just too blank. It's just too irrational. It's just, it's just whatever. You guys, God does irrational things all the time in the Bible. And if this is the book that we follow, we need to be able to follow irrational callings from time to time. Because if you can fit all of God's, God eternal, God the creator of everything, if you can fit his whole brain, his whole rationale inside your human mind, you have a small God. You have a very, very small God. If you can fit all of God into your mind. So you guys, sometimes we need to follow the example of the leaders who followed irrational callings on their life. And so what is it that maybe was irrational to you at one point that maybe as you pray about it seems a little bit less irrational. Maybe because of time and money. That seems to be usually our problem. Or maybe we don't have the training or the education. You guys, God called the, confound, God called the foolish, quote-unquote foolish, to confound the wise. And it says in 1 Corinthians that God's foolishness, if there was any, is wiser than man's wisdom. And so as we grow older, and we say that just can't happen because we know enough about the world, know this, is that God's wisdom is so beyond ours. See, God knew everything that would happen in this if Gideon followed his commands. So if we follow God's commands, whatever is irrational now, 
may be just the biggest life-turning watershed event for you. You look back on 20 years and say, I am so glad I, I went against all rationale, all, all, all intelligence, and all the people who said, you shouldn't do that, right? There's wisdom in listening to others. But if God is calling you, you need to listen to the Lord. You need to listen to the Lord. And so don't just blindly follow what you feel like you need to do. Pray about it. Grab people. Talk about it. Pray about it. See what God's word says about what you are feeling you need to do. And if it lines up with scripture, and if you pray about it, and if God's calling you to do it, I want to challenge you that, you know what? Despite what people may have said, despite what you may feel, and despite what the world thinks about what God is calling you to do, do it. Because God will equip you for it if he's calling you to do it. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word to us this morning, God, that, that you will equip us for every good work, Lord. God, I ask that you would give us a hunger for your bread, God. Give us a hunger for your word, Lord, because as we walk in the light and as we walk in your word, Lord, you lead us to be equipped. You lead us to that place where the irrational becomes possible, where the impossible becomes possible through you, Jesus. So, God, I ask, if there's, if there's a calling or a dream or a vision, Lord, that you've given anyone in this room that we've shelved or said, it's just not the right whatever. God, I ask that you put it in our hearts, Lord, to lead and guide us in the way that we can fulfill that call that you have for us in our lives. Jesus, get a, just, just, just give us a passion for you, God, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen.